Hello everyone, it is Jake and Seth. Today we're going to do a little thing called shooting the breeze. I'm going to ask Seth some questions about some recent topical topics. Quick sidebar, Seth, is that even correct English, topical top topics? It, it, it's a usable sentence. I would not edit it with a red pen if I was an English teacher. Okay, it's a pass. I'll take the pass. Okay, we're going to talk about some things. Okay. Sidebar ending. Seth, recently the Batman trailer by Matt Reeves, the film yeah. is directed by Matt Reeves, starring Robert Pattinson, came out. Curious. Talk to me. Thoughts? Feelings? Go. Uh, initial thoughts, it was an interesting trailer. Um, feels like they're borrowing a lot from different movies. Um, definitely felt like more of a sort of a crime, almost war feel. Definitely darker than the Ben Affleck Batman, I would say. Um, I, I actually felt like the tone was more, I mean, this is just from a trailer, but I thought it kind of borrowed from the Joker movie a little bit, actually, too, as well. Um, I found it interesting that they're kind of doing a younger Bruce Wayne Batman. I think the last bunch of years, we've been seeing kind of the older one, so I thought that was kind of smart to go younger a little bit. I don't know if Robert Pattinson be good in that part yet i do think the cast is a very sleek kind of sexy it's the type of cast you'd see in the 90s and i think that's an interesting move where it's like they really filled it with a lot of big names you got zoe kravitz as catwoman colin farrell as the penguin paul dano as the riddler circus as a uh, pennyworth i guess circus isn't cgi'd in this and uh, <laughs> even peter sarsgaard as the da john Turturro as carmen falcone jeffrey wright as james gordon i think all those are interesting cast choices uh um I'm happy to see all of those guys kind of like take on those roles. Um, uh, it does seem, I guess the Dano is going to be the primary villain. Uh, it seems like the Riddler is the primary villain, which it kind of had a seven feel to it or something where it's like, he's almost a serial killer. Um, there's some that, rumor that, that he's a red herring or that he's like going to oh, be, a, there's going to be a switch. There's a rumor that it's going to be based on it's the long Halloween, but there's someone called the holiday killer. So but with that is a deep take at this point because it's very much set up with the Riddler being the main character. And this seems like an interesting take on him, to your point. It's got a very seven-ish vibe. I will say this. I really liked the trailer. It answered some questions for me, such as Pattinson, I think, at least being able to fill out the suit in the sense of that one action scene they show. I think he looks good. Matt Reeves. There are other... I'm intrigued from what they showed me. Yeah. But at the same time for how it, I can't remember. We spoke on this. I can't remember if we did it online or not, but I, one of the problems I had, I don't want to say problem, but there's four villains that they named John Turturri as Falcone. You met Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, Beryl as Penguin and uh, the Riddler. And there's a couple, there are a couple actors who have undisclosed roles probably going to be villains who knows and there's a rumor there could be any more from one to two more villains and there's this whole skull face gang you see in it i have no problem with creating a diverse group of villains it's incredibly hard to pull off though because you need to yeah. balance developing each of them creating connections between them and the hero or you need to make them so cool that it doesn't matter for the hero it's very hard to do from what i've seen in this trailer they look like they're doing it but this is the only thing i'll say Batman vs. Superman put some awesome trailers together, but it's not that hard to cut to the, together a few lines, create some 
semi-coherent theme and then tie all the action in a really cool two-minute soundbite, two-minute trailer, excuse me. And also the other thing I'm going to say is I really like the I really like the trailer, but Batman Forever also had some really good riddles in it and still like it. So my thing is right now they showed me for a trailer for how long it was and for how much they showed they really didn't show much. Pattinson only says one real line, a few lines, and they're all in the really distressed Batman voice. I haven't seen any Bruce Wayne yet. We haven't seen any Turturro. We we have we haven't seen so much, and I don't know how long this movie is yet. Right now, though, I'm saying I went into the restaurant saying, "Wow, you're going to give me a really ambitious ten course meal. We'll see how it goes." I've had like the first appetizer, and I'm like, "God, oh, this is great." I still have no idea how you're going to do the rest of it, but let's see where it goes. I think the the Batman for everything is a really good comparison because it's like when that came out, it was kind of like Val Kilmer was like, oh, maybe this is like a younger, like Bruce Wayne kind of like he was a different type. And it was like, and they really did fill that cast. You had Tommy Lee Jones, you had Jim Carrey, you had uh, Drew Barrymore was in a side side role. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like they were introducing Chris O'Donnell, right? As Robin in that one. Chris I think. O'Donnell, and Chris O'Donnell's star was high at this time. Yeah, and it was just like, it, I remember as a kid, though, I was like... Nicole wow. Kidman. Yeah, Nicole, I was just like, man, they're doing Two-Face. Like, that trailer to me looked unbelievable. And then, like, when you saw that movie, it might be one of the worst Batman movies ever made. So it's like, I totally hear the fears. Yeah, it's totally warranted. Uh, it all looks great now, but you, you barely showed me any of the four villains. And you just showed me what showed, like, oh, to be honest, a lot of B-roll. <laughs> and, uh, it, it looks good. True. It looks good, but let, let's. Yeah, uh, it's like I think that what they did show though, though, is that like there is the potential for a good movie, and so it's like it's it was intriguing enough to make me like kind of want to see the movie. I'll say this: it raised the floor for me from Batman Forever to it's at least going to be a Prometheus. It's going to have all the visual acumen, yeah, and yeah, yeah, flourish. I want. They're going to touch on some big themes, and there'll be some action, but it, it'll be disappointing. But I'm not. I'm not wishing it that. I like it. I hope. I hope it does well. And this got me excited, and I'm not trying to be a naysayer. But at the same point, I'm, I'm still a little concerned just about the ambition and scope of the film. The only other question I, the only other problem I have is that I did a little research, so this is going a little deeper. But reading into it, Matt Reeves was all about this is a year after. This is supposed to be year two of Batman, and I get it. Batman Begins was much much more year one. The rest all took him on as established. He was like, I want to get Batman before he's a hero and he's still flawed and he's learning. Interesting. That's what Batman Begins was all about. And The Dark Knight takes up a year after that. So the whole idea you're going to go after this flawed, younger Batman, for me, isn't quite so novel. I appreciate the detective aspect. I think that's something really well, new. Well, so I guess for you, it's it's like, Batman becomes Batman, and then it's like all, all of a sudden he becomes. Uh, it's like all of a sudden he has that competition with the Joker. There's nothing in between that, I guess. Or is there a period between there? Uh, my problem is you're saying you're going to do something they've never done before. You're showing Batman in the second year of his career. I'm saying that's something that we've seen before in Nolan's film. Batman begins composing yeah, yeah. the first year of his career. We get that card at the end of Batman Begins. There is no huge gap between Batman Begins and Dark Knight. I Joker you. shows up immediately. There's not this huge space between them, or at least when he's on his radar. I'm not saying 
this film isn't trying to take place between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. I'm not arguing that it's not fitting into that specific mythology chronology. My problem right. is saying you want to do something you've never done before. I'm saying we've seen it done before really well. And yeah. So that's kind of my, that's where I'm coming at it. I hear that. What What do you think if the, what if it was a, like, if the trailer was sort of like a more, um, what if it had been like a, just a much more minimal kind of thing where it was like all you saw was Gordon sort of tracking the Riddler and then maybe you see a few lines from Batman or something, but it was like, would you rather have that movie where it's really just those three characters or would you rather have this bigger group of, of people and try to make it all work? No, I, I think that's kind of an unfair equation. It, I guess so. there's a huge gap between the Joker and the dark Knight. <laughs> to say yeah. just because I'm saying you have four villains doesn't mean you need to have one. I, I have no problem with multiple villains. And I think Batman returns, you make the argument they did. They juggled three villains really well. I have no problem with multiple villains. My problem is the amount of villains they have in this film. You have four, possibly five villains at the Skullface game. It does feel like one or two too many, yeah. So that's my problem. You're talking about developing a film. Seth, I don't know if you know this. I've never mentioned this. I watch a lot of comic book films. So (laughs) I do have some level of knowledge when it comes to (laughs) what are good templates and bad templates. And I can tell you, one of the best films to juggle villains, in my opinion, was Avengers Civil War. Because it pivots from crossbones to each other to Zemo back to each other. And you're juggling and yeah, you have there's a lot of characters and a lot of different competing things. And Matt Reeves is a great director, and I'm not sitting here and saying he can't knock it out of the park. My biggest question is, and this could be unfair because they've had a lot of success with Joker. And they've had a lot of success with Aquaman recently. Does this franchise... I'm not saying you go the Star Wars route with Force Awakens and you just go for the bunt single and try and echo a previous film. Yeah. But you don't need to swing for the fences and try and score five runs with one single single swing of the bat. And I'm a little worried they're doing that. And why that worries me is because that's what they did with Batman vs. Superman and with Justice League. And they ended up biting off way more than they could chew. And what they had was this really thematically rich movie with a lot of rich characters visually. And you get little tastes of them, but none of them are given enough time to breathe. And what it feels like is a vignette of almost, it's a vignette of characters and not a coherent story. That's, I went in really deep there, but that's my concern. I, I actually, if like, if I was a betting man, I think I would bet on what you're talking about there, where it kind of turns into this vignette of like too many characters instead of this cohesive thing. But I'm still hoping, I guess, that it turns out the right way. I agree. That that was I, I was super negative, and yeah. I'm gonna pull back because that now in hindsight that was very negative. I'm just I don't love. It's not that negative. One last question I had. I know that they said the Joker with Joaquin Phoenix was a one-off, but in your mind, if if Joaquin Phoenix said yes and they tried to merge it with the Joker thing, would you watch that movie? This same studio said the Snyder Cut wasn't happening. <laughs> You think I trust? It's got to be on the table, right? That's got to be on the table to merge it with that joke. Yeah. For, okay. Well, number one, don't ever listen to a studio exec. And Seth knows this. Don't ever listen to a Hollywood businessman. Number two, the movie made a billion dollars. If this movie makes a billion dollars, <laughs> they offered Heath Ledger $100 million. Not Heath Ledger. Christian Bale $100 million to come back for Batman vs. Superman or to do a Batman 4. He said no. 
I bet in hindsight they would have went back and offered him two hundred million dollars. Did they really offer Bale a hundred million dollars and he turned it down? It might not have been up front. It could have been like a Downey Jr. deal where you get a huge chunk up front and then a big yeah. cut of the of the back end. Um, but it was at that point with what Downey was making, he was due for a huge, huge. <laughs> Those are crazy numbers. Well, Dow- I mean, Downey made a hundred million in every Avengers film. I have one. It's like when you're making billions, it's like it makes sense. But still, that's got to be the highest contract for any actor of all time. I think Cruz might be more because he gets more back end as like a producer. I well, yeah, I was gonna say I would bet Cruz got a higher fee up front, maybe. But I don't know. Maybe it's I think he way. gets both. I think he gets. Yeah, both. maybe. Because he's, he's, he's the one cutting he's the check. Tom Cruise, okay. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard of him? All right. That was super <laughs> negative. I, I That ended up – I got lost there in kind of my own hate for WB. One of, oh, sorry. I was going to try to squeeze in one more question. Throw it in. Throw it in. I was, I, uh, yeah, throw it in. Any chance that Dano – that this kind of becomes his – like I remember we were talking about him. We were like, he really needs that part where he can like define himself or kind of transcend. And like is this – could this be kind of his real breakout? I'm going to say yes. Maybe not. It's He might not be the leading like, man. Well, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to say he might not be the leading man kissing Emma Stone in the next movie, but I think this could lead to a resurgence for him as he may be the new villain or maybe he becomes the new Vince Vaughn sidekick. Vince Vaughn had a lot of roles where he was a sidekick or a side character or supporting character. I don't know what Paul Dano's career is, but I think this is the one that can get him back on the map, especially if he is a well-liked part of this film. It could totally revive his career, I think. I would definitely hope it does something. Like, for all I know, maybe like he'll always be referred to as the Riddler, you know, for the rest of his life after this movie. Like, I don't know how it'll turn out. I also kind of, like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, if he is that good, I kind of hope they don't kill him. Like, throw him into the As- Arkham Asylum. Let him, you know, maybe he can come back in a sequel or something. So this is a whole other argument against Snyder not understanding the character and the killing. Arkham Asylum exists solely so he doesn't have to die. So the so the villains don't die and they're not going to jail and it's conceivable they can easily break out. It's another whole. I always say I'm a Marvel character, but I will say the constructs of Batman and Superman are perfect. Like they, as far as building a comic book character, and I'll go to a whole podcast one day. They're they're perfect. Tarantino describing Superman's identity as a criticism of actual people is perfect, and Batman's whole. Batman is a character who has the means to bring about the change which he wants to through financial means, yet resorts to physical violence to fulfill some weird fantasy, and he keeps doing it over time. Like it's and he it's doesn't kill his villains, so they come back. There's a whole weird like there's they're very interesting characters on like deep their philosophical levels. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm getting lost on that path, but it's just. I like it. They're great, and Snyder didn't understand it. So my hope is if they start killing off a bunch of characters in this film, it's going to upset me again. And it's not that Batman doesn't have to kill. It's not that heroes like can't kill, but Batman really can't. Like If you understand yeah, that's true. him, yeah, yeah. He just, that's not something that happens. So like, I'll leave it at that. I'm also I'm just happy that like we moved on from the Ben Affleck phase. That was a weird like little bender. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's the perfect lead-in, because my question is, are you excited for the Snyder Cut? Because uh, they're bringing it back. More. They're bringing it back. They're moving on with the with this new Batman. 
and yet they're bringing Ben Affleck back in another new re-release. That is that's bizarre to me that they're trying to do that. Um, I'm definitely, I guess, like I'm interested to see the Snyder cut more so than like what that Batman for Superman movie was. Like, I'm hoping it there's like was a better movie. Oh well, it's not Batman vs Superman. It's Justice League. Oh, it's Justice League. Oh, uh, in that case, yeah, I didn't think Justice League was that special. <laughs> so I will say this. They're releasing it not initially as a four-hour movie, which it's going to be. Oh, my gosh. But as four one-hour episodes. So this is my question. Did you really make a good film if you need to tell it in four hours over a four-week period? Probably not, especially Uh, if it's a comic book movie. (laughs) And again, the biggest criticism of that is you look at his three films, and the first one was two and a half, and your last two were seven. And it's because you crammed in all these heroes instead of taking four or five movies to build to it. And I haven't seen the Snyder Cut, but I know from reading a lot of research and knowing what scenes were cut and seeing the deleted scenes and reading his notes and watching all of his social posts, the backstories for building The Flash, Cyborg, and Aquaman were all cut from the film. That's where the bulk of the film is going to be. And the reason you need a four-hour film is because you have to build half of your cast. It's just... Right. They don't have independent movies the way they should have. And, it's, yeah. and again, it's like, this is my problem. Okay, you're spending $30 million on the Snyder Cut. <laughs> Why? I just... I don't... I, don't... I, think, I think they know, like, there's a... There's a, I think they know that there's a threshold number of people that will download it, and it's like yeah. without a doubt they'll make money on it. Actually, you're right. I, I say that, and I'm sure they've done the math, and it's yeah. There've probably <laughs> been X amount of people who've asked for a Snyder cut, and they're like, okay, all of them pay, or half of them pay. We'll make this much. So, this is the one thing I'll say though. They're doing it. It's a very. Ways. I've never heard of this happening with any other movie before. Though. I uh, also like, this guy. I mean, there's been director's cuts, but like this feels like a whole other movie. A part of me also thinks so. They might be doing it just to be like, shut the fuck up, Snyder. Yeah. Snyder also, I've never seen anyone lobby this hard and this long. He's put all, he's put a lot of effort into getting his cut out there. And I think what's going to happen is it's going to come out and all the people who love Zack Snyder are going to say, oh my God, it's so good. And all the people who didn't love it are going to say, oh my God, it's so long. That's and probably, it's most people's minds are probably already made up one way or the other. Yeah. And I, it's like, if I'm wrong, if I if my brother comes to me and says, yo, Jake, this movie was awesome. I can't believe this is one of the best things I've seen. And if I have people who don't love normal comic book things and they're coming to me and saying, wow, like, I really like that. I'll change my mind. If I'm hearing the same chatter where it's 10% of people who love Zack Snyder are saying how great it is. I am. I was, was unnecessarily hard on the Batman trailer and I'm sorry. I fucking nope. hate the Snyder Cut, and I I want it to crash and burn, and I might pay it just so I can rip it apart. And I do want to do a whole Batman versus Superman. I do want to do a Zack Snyder Justice League pod with you at some point. I just don't want to force we you to it. watch the movies. <laughs> I've, I've seen Justice League and uh, Batman vs Superman. I just thought I had you know I had a lot of issues with Batman vs Superman, but like yeah, the, I mean. What's funny though is like what I remember of the Justice League is that they didn't build any of the characters, and I was like, "This what the?" So it's like the idea that he does build them kind of makes sense to me, but it's like they should be built in their own movies, not like within that movie kind of thing. 
It, the whole thing kind of feels like a clusterfuck. And I don't trust that Zack Snyder's like some mastermind director. That's the other thing. I, I think people forget. You just look at his <laughs> filmography. Yeah, so <laughs> like... The Watchmen's great, but it's almost a shot-for-shot remake. He brought it to life, but he didn't actually do much work. And uh, honestly, the TV show uh, beat out that movie. Like, <laughs> it's already been surpassed. <laughs> Without you know? a doubt. That's a great point. Also, he made a great zombie film. Down in the... Well, we... We'll do the Batman vs. Superman now that I know you have some interest because that, that's a whole other conversation. This is the last thing I want to ask because the Snyder Cut, what's also come out in this is Joss Whedon got shit on by Ray Fisher. And a bunch of these other guys, Burns, I think it's Jeff Burns and John Berg. Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg, came back and said all these guys were inappropriate on set and really rude. Oh, and he just came at them hard. I haven't heard anything from them yet, but I was just thinking... Whedon, he's another victim. I think he got churned out by that meat grinder that is Marvel, and I think he pissed off the wrong people with Ultron. And he's never – he had the chance to do this movie. It didn't go well. I think Whedon's one of those guys people don't like, and when he was successful, no one cared. And the way I'm going with this is his Avengers movies made so much money. But I actually think I, I mean – yeah, I'm sorry. What'd you say? There? I'm just saying he's not doing anything. Like for how successful he was, I agree. I actually think he was a successful guy. I wish he did a little more. Like these guys, like Snyder. It's like I don't. And uh, who's that? Singer? I think is kind of the other one. Yes. I don't quite get why they keep getting so much work. And like, yeah, like a guy like Whedon's kind of like, what are you doing? Yeah. Well, we can do a whole other Whedon conversation, but to quickly touch on that, he, after making Ultron, he was very vocal about how difficult it was with some of the meddling. And the meddling didn't come from Fig specifically, but there was a group of six people at Marvel. One of the main meddlers was Ike Perlmutter, but it was the head of toy sales. It was the head of all these divisions oh, I see. at Disney, at, at, which was, yeah, it was owned by Disney at the time. So it was all these Disney overlords. And for example, in Iron Man 3, it was supposed to be a female villain, but Ike Perlmutter said, girls don't buy toys. So instead of having a female villain, they forced in the Adrian Killen, uh, Adrich Killian character. And then in this film, I'm not specifically sure what the what it was, what these things were. Uh-huh. But there is apparently a lot of meddling. And Whedon came out of this and was very vocal about being tired, not wanting to move on, that this movie was a compromise. All of the things you don't want your director to say for a $250 million movie, which you're spending another $150 million marketing. You never want your director to go into all these junkets and say, yeah, it was a real drag. I, uh, it was a real, it wasn't a little I will say, that's, you know, it's another, it was interesting that you said that the, the people on the set were sort of like having differences and stuff. Cause I think that's another thing that like, the Marvel franchises, like it sounds like the sets are fun to be on for those actors. And it's like, they all kind of enjoy it. And I think that's a big thing in terms of like retaining big actors and stuff. It's like, you want the workplace to be like a good environment for them. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I could be drawing too much here. Mark Ruffalo joked in one of these interviews. He was one of the people who convinced Josh Brolin to take on the Thanos role. And as soon as he's had to do all the CGI and what all that required, Mark Ruffalo basically turned to him and said, ha like tricked you. It's, <laughs> it's fun, but it sucks. Like it's a lot of hard work and it's some, it's hard work too. 
and where I'm going with this is Ruffalo signed on for more roles, or at least he hasn't signed them off. So I think the point of that being Mark Ruffalo, he, he's been, his career has been helped by these films, but he's an A-list actor, I would say, at this point. He yeah. doesn't need to come back to it, but it seems like a franchise he wants. So it's also a franchise, yes, they left, but Evans and Downey Jr. kept coming back to it, and Scarlett Johansson when they didn't have to. Chris Hemsworth, exactly, yeah. he it's, went back to it. It's, I'm sure it's hard work, like he's saying, to do this, but it's like, it just seems like the people all kind of like were liked each other and collaborated well. And like yeah. that's a, when you're doing multi movie franchises, it's like you want the group of people to get along with each other. The irony is that was one of the last films where that board had any say. Oh, that's interesting. Because it didn't make as much money as they hoped. I can't remember what happened exactly with Age of Ultron, where after that, I think it was after that film, Faggy went directly to whoever the Disney CEO was. And the argument was that there was less apparently meddling in Avengers and it's in the film obviously did great. And this film, despite being a sequel and having all this much, so much more momentum, barely made any more money, still was successful. And the argument was, the rumor is, is that there are specific things in the film that weren't well liked by the audience were exact, the exact meddlesome points from the producers. And so Faggy <laughs> went back to him and said, this is what I did the first time where you kept them off my back. This is what happened this time. This is what I had to do. This is what happened. Oh, and the director was pissed off, which also probably hurt the movie because he was bitching about it at the freaking junket. And then between that film, after that film, I'm not sure if it happened, like the exact correlation or chronology, but Guardians of the Galaxy comes out shortly thereafter, right around then and crushes it. I think those. Yeah. I think it was another example of where they let the artists do more of the work with less interference. Yeah. And Faggy finally broke that hold. And now Faggy answers directly to whoever the Disney CEO is. And since then, they've had Civil War, The Infinity War, Endgame, Spider-Man, billions billions. Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange, Ant-Man. It's just gone completely. Like, they've had yeah. a string of success, obviously. That's unheard of. Okay. I'm going to get off that. Going to the box <laughs> office. Seth, Tenet and New Mutants are opening in theaters in the next week or two. What do you think? How's it going to go? I mean, it's like I see these previews on TV, and that's there's like in theaters where theaters are available, and it's like, well, no theaters are available near me, so I don't know where I got to go to. You know, I wish I could watch Tenet in a theater. Honestly, I really do wish I could see that movie in like an IMAX theater. I don't think it's going to happen for me. So it's like, as someone who's like always been a big movie fan my whole life and would be willing to pay money to go to the movie theaters it's like i don't think it's gonna happen i don't feel safe in california right now going into a movie theater uh so it's i don't know i mean i think it's interesting to me that they are releasing it i think it has more to do with like the international money than it has to do with the american box office but i think no matter what the american box office is going to be affected by this thing yeah it's, i hope they have reduced expectations and to your point i'm one of the few people or dwindling people who really loves going to the theaters yeah. and there's no way my wife won't let me. And there's no way I can justify going without telling her. It's just like, I, it's I, I can't you can't justify it. You can't. There's no way. There's no way I can go. So I, I'm disappointed because I want to see Tenet and it's the only time in my life where I want to say, just release it straight to my screen. I get Tenet. You, you want me to see in theaters, but I'll pay 
I'll pay a little bit more. I, I guess that's the question. That's the rough. That might be that. I know they've been releasing some of these movies, and it's been like a twenty dollars rental. That like might be the one movie I would pay to watch it. I don't know if it would be worth that money, but it's like that's the one I've been looking forward to. The one thing they need to start doing with rentals is update the two to three days. Give a week if you're spending fifteen to twenty five dollars. That's true. Give yeah. someone a week. That happened to me with something on Amazon where I watched it. I fell asleep. I couldn't watch it the next. I ended up going back to watch it, and I would just miss the window, and I was so pissed. It's been like sixteen dollars, and I had a forty-eight hour window. All right, that's my gripe. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I hope they do well. It's disappointing for Tenet because I mean, I hope they're good movies. More, more, yeah. Like I'm hopeful that they're good movies. I guess I'm not. I mean, it's like I'm not too concerned about the box office because it's just rich white people lining their pockets, basically. But <laughs> what's so interesting is now that we're talking about this is. It might help some films, but no box office. So much is dictated by the audience, those first opening weekends, and not only how much more money they invest in it, but how much people talk about them and all the hype. And imagine all the films we've ever talked about, people have talked about that are great, that do that are incredible, people love, but they just get lost in the clutter of the week and, and they never really find that audience. And then they break out big once they're on, on demand. Or... I do, yeah, I do think it'll make people sort of like view movies differently and sort of like i don't know if more critically but i think they'll they'll kind of it won't be the same feeling of like oh we went to the movie theater and we were blown away by like you know the action and tenant i think people will kind of sit down and view tenant in a different way if it's streaming and so yeah i mean i think overall it's like they're still going to take a hit money wise but i do think maybe come award season there's like quite, kind of a clearer picture of like which movies are better and stuff like that Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird time. It's a weird time to be a movie fan. It's a weird. It's a weird world we live in. Okay. Okay. All right, Seth. Last question. Sports yes. boycotts. Boycott. Oh no, man. Um, I saw the recent shooting. I thought it was hellacious. I don't know why these officers aren't trying to, you know, uh, subdue people more naturally or tase them. So I, I think all of the protests are warranted. I would personally support all of them. Um, it's, I mean, personally, I play a ton of fancy baseball. It has become completely out of control for me to manage between COVID postponements and, and these players' protests. I mean, we've, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in my league. We've all put in money, but it's, got, it's like today my brother was screaming at me. It's like he's lost his entire lineup. He's playing some rookie that didn't lose any of his bats. MLB today is like half the games got postponed, half, half of them played. So it's, they're not as unified as basketball, which I think is interesting. It seems like teams are, are boycotting independently. Like I know the Phillies had a team meeting and decided to boycott. So it's interesting to me that baseball isn't like having this unified talk about it the way basketball is. It seems like football does not give a shit. It like, I mean, Jerry Jones thinks he's opening week one with fans in the stadium. So that's like a totally different viewpoint, you know. I don't know. It's crazy times in sports. It's very crazy. And uh, it's uh, the exact point of the – obviously we know it, but it's the point of the protest because they wanted to scrap that daily life of the average non-committal mediocre – the non-fan will be affected by the boycotts. But, yeah, I'm right there with you. I to totally support them. Totally support them. I do think it forces the owner, like, you know, it sends a message to the fans, but I think more importantly, the rich white owners that own these basketball teams and baseball teams, they will not make money if they don't play games. And it's like, 
that's one of the few ways to get powerful people to do things. It's like, and I, so I, it's like, I, I do support that sort of agenda. I well, guess. I do want to say the few hundred players, African Americans that may exist in the NBA or in any of these sports, or thousands that exist in, in the professional sports, they have more leverage over more billionaires than thousands of probably African Americans, just because. Right. To your point, their boss, every sports owner is not just a billionaire; they're a big time billionaire. They've got they they're the ones who are in the halls of power. I'm not trying to be. They are. They're the ones donating money. These are the ones who have the power. And if you want things to change, you need to get them on board. And we can get that's a whole other conversation with the owner versus player thing and that divide. But yeah, it's it, when it comes to the NFL, I'm not surprised. I don't also the. I think it's like eight percent of players in the MLB are African American, ninety percent in the NBA. That's true. So, yeah, the demographics are very different. Yeah. But then the arguments, well, the NFL is seventy percent or eighty percent, and you're not seeing it there. But the thing I'd say there is, you could ask. I think, I think the approach is different. It's just a different sport. It's a different mentality. It's a different window, and also a lot of the NFL players. There's some NFL players that don't kneel. Some of them are like, well, I have relatives who fought in the war. Like, I think it's a little more nuanced in the NFL. I, I, that might be unfair for me. I, I'm not fully in, aware of, or researched on the topic. But the other thing about the NFL is, I would say more so, it's just the pressing window of these careers where if you're uh, yeah. a running back or linebacker or D-back, you only have a couple of years. You need to make that money. And in any, if any sport is still going to penalize you for sitting out and they won't get trouble, it's the NFL. I, I was also going to say the NFL just has a mindset to it that the other sports don't have. Yes. And it's just like... They're it's gladiators. This, yeah, it's a military gladi- gladiator type of mindset. And it's like, I mean, you kind of get that in, in baseball and basketball, but it's not to the level it is in football. And I just think that that's kind of like the overwhelming... The, the spirit of the NFL is like, what well, will not die. And it's like, these people are going to play their games. They're not scared to... I mean, look, these players might be at a much higher risk to die on the field than they are from COVID. So it's like I, there's a there's a part of it I, I kind of I kind of understand with the NFL as sadistic as it is. There, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, there is the thing when there was when they started removing players or excuse me suspending players for hits. Players were getting mad. They were saying this is football. Everyone who's played football. This is the thing. Since they've changed the rules in the last ten years for younger people. The rules used to be, there used to be less rules. I know that sounds crazy, but the, you go back it's to the definitely 70s. definitely a different game. Like when we were kids, it, the, the way the game was played was different. The hits were different. It just was a different kind of game. You were taught to hit helmet to helmet. Everyone hit helmet to helmet. That was a good tackle as if you could square someone up and hit them helmet. Uh, you were supposed to, yeah, shoulder pad to helmet was great, but our best hitters on our team were hitting helmet to helmet. It's, and even the undefended passer, and I was against this at first, you could nail receivers in the air yeah. at every level. And quarterbacks, too. Totally, there was no defenseless receiver. There, Everything was fair game. And you can go back further. There used to be clotheslining. There used to be tons. The game has gotten very sanitized over time. But it's still the most violent. And every single play, you're hitting someone as hard as you can. So for them to worry about getting – and I'm, that's not how I – Feel, but I'm just saying, you want to like broad strokes. They're worried about getting sick or getting a cold or getting a bad flu, and yeah, it's worse than that. Right? They right. could their exactly. knee. They could lose their career any single play. Exactly. They're there. They know they've got a limited time to make money to be in this game. I think they're gonna all or many of them, for better or worse. And 
And my hope is that it's not worse, but they're going to risk it. I totally agree. It's just, it's a different, yeah, you're right. The careers are shorter. The risks are way higher. It's just kind of a different game than these other sports. Whereas like if you're a baseball, you know, if you're a pitcher in your early twenties, I think you can afford to skip this season and, you know, keep pitching. You know, it's like you might pitch to your 40. It's like it's just a different kind of thing. Yeah. And well, you're not risking your life, you know, on in every game. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I have one last question for you, Seth, and then I'll let you go. What are you watching? What's, what's, what's Seth watching? What, oh, what's a casual last, watch for you right now? So I've been uh, with my parents up in San Francisco lately, last night. Uh Set. My dad was doing a crossword puzzle. My uh, wife was reading a book. My mom and I turned on Cheers. Oh, ourselves a little Cheers. Isn't that nice? It was the it was the first season of Kirstie Alley. I think Ted Danson's hair. It was just beautiful. I mean, it was so thick and lustrous at that point. And uh, that was also, actually a wig. Was it? I didn't know that. <laughs> yep, he wore a wig. He was balding before it started, apparently. Well, it looked beautiful. <laughs> And uh, also, I'm a big fan of the young, you know, young Woody Harrelson. I kind of feel like Chris Pratt kind of stole that part in Parks and Rec. He kind of plays the dumb guy in Parks and Rec. Kind of stole Woody Harrelson's uh, role from Cheers, in my opinion. I would say that's fair. He's definitely fitting that specific. Yeah. He's he's filling that niche, so to speak. He's got a little more sex appeal, I'd say. A little more star power. Maybe not star power. But just a little more leading more, man. Yeah. A little more leading man looks, I'd say. I think Woody, yeah, Woody was a little goofier, kind of. Uh, but yeah, dancing, I could spend 30 minutes with dancing any day of the week. I mean, when he was at his peak, he was just a fun guy to be with. Sam Malone, great bartender. Hey, I'd go to that bar. Also a show I feel like could be easily rebooted in a different city. You know, do it in Chicago or New Orleans, you know, just kind of like do cheers again. People in a bar talking. You get a psychiatrist, a couple of drunks, and a a good bartender. It's like, how hard is it to do that show? I kind of like New Orleans. Is that too gimmicky? I I wouldn't mind a good New Orleans. It'd be fun to get some jazz, New Orleans jazz. You get a bunch of characters in there, you know? The diverse diverse, uh, casting. I think you nailed it. I think you got it. We're working on something here. Hollywood, call. We got a show. It's cheers. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we go. I don't think you've ever heard of this, but it's a bunch of people in a bar. I'm totally, I'm totally blanking right now. What's the, what's the Italian cheers? The Italian cheers. What do you say when when Italians cheers? It's uh, I'm not Italian. This is bad. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm th- like Irish say slancha, I think. it's. Uh, I, I'm blanking on everything else other than fucking cheers and the Irish. All, for some reason, I'm thinking of the Russian Nostrovia thing. Well, that works too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think, I don't know if a Russian sitcom would work that well. And, uh, but hey, yeah, I'm not. Mazel tov. Mazel tov. Yeah, I think it works out. All right. Um, I think that does it. Seth, talk to me, Goose. It was a good talk. I'm hoping, like I've, I'm hoping the sports come back and stuff. I miss. I like baseball and football and basketball. Me too. Uh, I'm not liking baseball right now, but I do like it generally. And my hope is that it stays. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Okay, Seth. Later. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Man.